Welcome to the Space Between podcast. I am William. And I'm Katie. And in this podcast, we talk about the complexities of life, faith in the 21st century, and everything in between. Often, that space between is where a lot of us find ourselves. We hope to provide a place where people can be honest and we can engage with one another with compassion wherever we may end up on our journey. Hello and welcome to the Space Between podcast. Today we have Curtis Vanderpool. Nice to have you on today. Oh, thanks so much, man. I'm excited about it. Great stuff. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, so um, I my name is Curtis Vanderpool. I've grown up in uh, Texas, out in the States, um, which can be, you know, super ultra conservative. Um, and I've been there, but uh, I'm at a point in my life now where I'm a life coach and a writer um, and also a public speaker, but I really focus more on the coaching and the writing. Um, and most of my life coaching, I do some life coaching with young adults, just transitioning out of school and into adult life. But most of my clients are um, in the deconstruction area of Christianity where they're having some difficult doubts or difficult questions or they're feeling kind of ostracized from their community. And so they need a place to process that and find ways to move forward. So that's what I do. Yeah, that's really cool. Whereabouts in Texas are you? I've got some friends and family there. I'm in Lubbock, um, which is in the middle of nowhere. It's where uh, Texas Tech University is. Cool. Um, it's like, if you look at a map, you got Dallas and then you have Albuquerque, New Mexico and Lubbock, Texas is smack dab in the middle. Okay, cool. I've got um, like friends in Rockwall. So oh, yeah. Know, yeah, relatively close. Um, well, comparatively for Texas for the size of yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, Dallas is the closest city, and Rockwell's right outside of Dallas. So. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't be close if it was in Scotland. Like, just to go from Rockwell into the center of Dallas, it was like the, <laughs> from one coast to the other in Scotland, <laughs> from east to oh, west. Yeah. So, that oh, was yeah. funny. I've had friends fly into Lubbock, and they're like, hey, I've got a, or fly into Texas, and they say, hey, I've got a layover in Houston. Can we get lunch? And I'm like, not unless your layover is about nine hours. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So funny. Um, so you said that in your coaching, you deal a lot with people who are going through deconstruction. So for people who are not familiar with that, what is deconstruction? Yeah, so there's actually been a, a lot of um, conversation about this lately, what deconstruction actually is. And the, the thing is, there's no one definition. Um, to give it one definition would really, really limit it. Um, and really, it, it varies based on the person. But if I had to give a very general definition, I'd just say it's um, in the connotation of faith, it's starting to question and pick apart the things that you believe. And you pick them apart so that you can reevaluate them individually, um, so that you can add new information. You know, when I was a 12 year old, this belief really worked well for me. But now that I'm in my 30s, um, do I do I still view that the same way or does it change and evolve as I change and evolve and so that's just kind of a very rough idea of what deconstruction is but it's definitely a very very um, hot topic these yep. days something in the last like 10 years it's just exploded yeah so do you want to maybe tell us a little bit about your personal experience then like um, what were you raised with in terms of faith and religion? And then how has that changed over time for you as well? And what role has deconstruction played in that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I grew up 
uh, in a United Methodist church, which a lot of people will say, well, that's a more liberal, liberal minded church, but out in West Texas, it's really not. Um, they're just like borderline Baptists, really. Um, but I grew up knowing Jesus. I mean, I played Jesus in my preschool play at church. Um, and I, I knew the story. I knew that Jesus died for me um, from a very, very young age. And it made sense to me. Um, I really started interacting in a relationship with Jesus when I was a teenager um, through camps and youth group and stuff. Um, and just being honest, like as soon as I was in with Jesus, I was all in. Like mm -hmm. it was my life. I was voted the um, Christian leader of our school year after year. Um, <laughs> I was kind of like the, the guy that um, parents trusted their kids as long as they were doing something with me because I was the good <laughs> Christian kid. Um, but, but really it became my life. Like it pushed sports out. It pushed all these other things out and Jesus became everything that I cared about. Um, so I've been leading and growing in that my whole life. I was a, the president of the youth group and then, um, started doing college and, uh, youth ministry when I was in college and for several years after college, I was a youth pastor. Um, so all that to say it's who I am. And there's a lot of things that go that bring someone to a place of deconstruction. You could say from an early age, I've always kind of pushed uh, the boundaries on things that weren't really important. I would always get in trouble in high school for breaking the dumb rules, but I would never break the serious rules that were actually there for safety reasons. Um, so you could say that I've always challenged authority um, when it didn't make sense. But really for me, Deconstruction really started uh, in my mid-20s. I had struggled with an addiction to pornography since I was 11 years old. Um, literally, I was introduced to Jesus, and two weeks later, I was introduced to pornography. Uh, and in my mid-20s, uh, I was still struggling with it, and I was married. And it was just, I was at the point where I was either going to lose my wife and my relationship, um, or I was going to do something about pornography. and. Long story short, I'm sitting outside of my very first um, Celebrate Recovery meeting, which is like a Christian version of uh, AA. And I'm just bawling in my car because I'm like, I've been the Christian leader since I was young. I had so much promise and so much um, uh, opportunity and possibility, you know, so much potential. And this is where I am. You know, I'm 26 and I'm a worthless addict who may lose my marriage and uh, may lose my job and my ministry. And just sitting in the car, it was just, you know, one of those few very real moments where it felt like Jesus was there with me. And he said, did you think I cared about 13-year-old Curtis more than I care about 26-year-old Curtis? Do you think I love um, the leader in ministry more than I love the addict in his car? Um, and that one, that one interaction really started getting me to question things. It, I mean, there's a lot of things that have poured into my, my deconstruction, but ultimately it's, I couldn't reconcile some of the beliefs that I had with the experience of Jesus's love and grace for me. Um, and it, it literally knew no bounds. So I'm like, well, if his grace doesn't know any bounds for me, does it know bounds for anyone else? Um, what about people? What about homosexuality? What about 
Um, people who aren't sure they believe in God anymore. What about, you know, people that have walked away from the faith completely? Just all these things just started unraveling. And it brought me back to the love and grace of Jesus. And that's kind of been the thing that has guided my deconstruction over the years. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that it's quite common, like amongst people who have been through deconstruction to say that it's been something that they've experienced rather than something that they've chosen is something that they've not consciously went, I'm intentionally going against the faith that I've been brought up with um, and trying to come up with something new that is just relevant to culture. But a lot of the time it is a real struggle. It's a hard and difficult learning process. Uh, similar to yourself, I had uh, experience with God that started my whole deconstruction process because I was yeah. in a period of time where like for a few months I'd considered myself to be an atheist and then was listening to a podcast by Richard Rohr on prayer. And I was in my parents' uh, uh, kitchen and was listening to this. And it was the first time in years that I'd really felt the presence of God. Went up to my old bedroom at my parents' house and just sat down on the floor and constantly read, I think it's Psalm 62, and it says, Oh, my soul, wait in silence before God, for my hope is in him. And just as I read that again and again, felt like God said, you have permission to explore, to ask the questions like yourself kind of pushing the bounds and going right if god gives me permission when i feel like this when i don't know when i'm unsure then what about for everyone else so that's a really good point there uh what do you think about that in terms of something that happens to you rather than something that you choose with deconstruction yeah you know it's interesting because i i talk about deconstruction a lot as a very very valuable stage of spiritual growth um, we're getting rid of all uh, the chaff, if you will, we're getting rid of all the fluff um, and we're getting down to the, to the pure, to the gold um, within relationship with Jesus or connection with God. Um, and a lot of times people will come to me and they'll say, okay, how do I start deconstructing? <laughs> and I just laugh. I'm like, if you're not deconstructing, don't like if, if where you're at is good and like Jesus is your life and you love you love God and you love people, you're, you're good. Um, but when you start, if you start getting to a place where things get confusing, um, and you're not really sure that you can reconcile some things that you've gone through, then let's talk. Um, I do think, uh, and we might talk about, get to this later, but I do think one thing that's been missing in Western Christianity, especially evangelical Christianity is experiential, um, relationship, experiential worship. Um, the, the contemplative and the mystical side of it. Yeah. Um, and I really think the more that you dive into that, the more the person that you encounter really differs from the stories that you've been told and the theologies that you've been taught. Yeah, I think that's an interesting comment as well, because a lot of Western and especially evangelical Christianity seems to be set up to try and manufacture an, an experience. It's got the band, it's got the lights, it's got everything to try and create right. this experience. But uh, I think you're right. And I use the word manufacture intentionally there rather than uh, experience because it's it's made as something that if you get anyone into a room doesn't matter what religion it's for what belief if it's a political party and you follow a set formula of music lighting uh, a set pitch of speaking then you're going to create an right. experience of some kind that is going to feel euphoric you're going to feel connected with everyone else that's in the room uh, you're going to feel this sense of being beyond yourself but i think what you seem to be pointing to there is something that's a bit deeper than that it's an experience that um, takes 
getting into the silence. It takes getting into the vulnerable parts of your soul. Um, would you say that's an accurate um, portrayal of your views? Oh, absolutely. Um, I've always been a little bit more mystical and reflective and introspective than, than most people, even when I was a kid. Um, and it felt just super weird, uh, but that's who I was. And then, especially as I started asking questions and going through deconstruction, my mentor uh, sent me to read some Brennan Manning and some Henry Nowen, um, the Ragamuffin Gospel, Abba's Child, Life of the Beloved. Um, and that, those two guys, and then Thomas Merton as well, just totally pushed me into this place of silent and silent stillness. You know, they yeah. call it solitude. Just this idea that like nothing else in the world exists except me and God. Yeah. And if I'm not accomplishing anything or growing in my faith or witnessing to non-believers, do I have value? Um, and that space, that solitude and silence taught me that I have infinite value in God's eyes, no matter what. Mm. I mean, Brendan Manning died um, still an alcoholic in his eighties or nineties. Um, and God just told me like, if, even if you die in your nineties as an alcoholic, like you have infinite value to me no matter what and that mm. i mean that's totally shaped um my worldview and my paradigm of god and and the world around me yeah um just recently i think it was just yesterday actually you were published in relevant magazine do you want to tell us a little bit about what you spoke of in that article yeah uh it was a little crazy they didn't really tell me that they were going to publish it they just I just found out from uh, people messaging me on Instagram. Um, but I, I heard about the Gospel Coalition, who's a pretty famous evangelical group here in the States. I think they're mostly in the States. Um, they are uh, releasing a book actually tomorrow. I think the book is releasing. It's called Before You Lose Your Faith. Um, and I read an article about it. I've, I've pre-ordered the book. I'm going to read it and give them a fair shot at it. But an article that they published about the book, um, my main takeaway from it was um, deconstruct all you want, but do it within the church. Like don't leave church. Uh, and I, I really think that there's some value to that. I think they're trying to help because deconstruction in isolation outside of any kind of community um, can be really harmful and dangerous. Um, you can just be siloed in your anger and frustration and questions uh, and it just snowballs. Um, so I'm with them on that. The problem is that everyone I know that has gone through deconstruction has tried to communicate these feelings, these thoughts, these experiences with their church. And everyone I know that has done that has had really negative, hurtful reactions. Um, kind of like, you know, you're, you're threatening us by bringing your questions out in public. Um, so the fact that the Gospel Coalition said, Deconstruct, just do it within the church, just kind of graded me wrong. So I wrote uh, an article in response to it. And the whole point, there's a, a lot of things that were said. There's a lot of things that weren't said in my article. But the main point that I was trying to get at is that deconstruction is not a danger to the church. It may be a danger to churches. It may be a danger to church um, institutions. Uh, it may be a danger to their uh a size of attendance on a Sunday morning, but mm. it is not a danger to the body of Christ. If anything, it's this great revival where people are starting to clean out their attics. They're getting rid 
of all the things that have just muddied up Christianity for the last two, 500, you know, years, a thousand years, and they're getting back to what I call, what I referred to as their first love in Revelation, where Jesus says, like, you have forgotten your first love. They're getting back to relationship with Jesus that is rooted in the love of God and the love and service of others. Um, that includes myself, that includes my neighbors, and that especially includes my enemies and those who hate me. Um, and so I really think that deconstruction is a gift to the body of Christ and that it's going to really affect, if not completely shape and guide the future of the church in the West. Yeah, it almost seems like a second form of the earlier like emergent church that you began to see, um, except maybe without the structure. Like there, yeah. I, it feels like there is a bit more of a structure that's like beginning to form with some of it. Um, there's a lot of people within the deconstruction online community that were beginning to look at events, beginning to look at planning things and making things happen. But um, yeah, it definitely has a, a similar feel to a lot of the ideas that were present within the emergent church, especially for those who still hold on to the label of Christian. Um, I don't know if you follow the decolonized Christian on Instagram, but they did a poll a, a few weeks ago, and I think they've got over 20,000 followers. So I, I don't know how many people responded to the poll, but I think it was around about 5% said that they would st still identify with evangelicalism. Um, but over 95% said that they identified with Christianity. And I think it was 98% said that they would still consider themselves followers of Jesus, which for an account, which um, from what I know of it and from engaging with them, uh, has mainly people who are deconstructing, especially in relation to the way the church has responded to stuff like Black Lives Matter and the murder of George Floyd and others last year. Um, it's, it's interesting to see those figures come out. Why do you think that conservative churches have responded so negatively when, as you say, it seems to be this gift that could be given to the body of Christ? Well, to maybe oversimplify it, um, I think people respond negatively to it because they're human. And as humans, if we look over the course of human history, if there's anything that we're bad at, it's dealing with uh, the unknown. It's dealing with change that may or may not threaten our current way of life. Um, and that's, that's the problem with deconstruction and more conservative or evangelical. And, and it's not just conservative. It's even um, liberal churches as well. It's just this idea that we don't have control of this thing and we don't have answers. You know, a lot of these questions don't have good answers. Um, and that's another thing we're not good at is uncertainty. Um, but the Bible and the Jesus that I see in scripture um, dwells in mystery constantly. Uh, and instead of focusing on having answers, he focuses on the relationship, his relationship with God, his relationship with his people. Um, and that's just so intangible. You can't put it down um, on a covenant and have people sign it. You can't put it on your website under um, our beliefs page. You know, it's it's very fluid, um, and it just feels. A lot of people will say it feels like shifting sand, and I get that critique. Uh, the thing is, we've never we've never been able to grab hold of God and say this is it. This is it. There's no more. Um, even 
John in scripture said, if everything that Jesus did were written down, the libraries of the world could not contain it. I mean, that tells me that God is so much bigger than anything we can understand by our church structures, our hierarchical leadership, even the Bible itself. Like God is bigger than the Bible. Shocker. Um, and I think it's just, it just scares them because they don't know what to do with it. And they're afraid of where it could go, which is understandable. But at the end of the day, the question is, do we trust God with deconstruction? Do we trust God with the direction of the church? Or do we only trust our ability and our structures and our ability, our uh, leadership of it? who have deconstructed or are deconstructing and we've held on to our faith we've kept our faith even if we don't know where we fit within the church where do you think we can do you think we can find a place within institutional church or do you think that there's something bigger than that happening um and what would you see the role of the the church to be well my answer to the first to to the first question is yes Uh, i think i think we can have a place in church I also think there's something bigger happening. Um, And I'll say I'm a part of a, you can call it a church here. They actually call themselves a network called the co-op here in Lubbock, Texas. And they are modeled after things like Tampa underground. If you haven't heard of them, you should check them out. But it's this idea of like a network of micro churches, which to me is pretty much what the first believers were. You know, it wasn't big buildings with a schedule um, and a you know worship set. It was houses. It was families. It was just people that knew God and got connected to each other because of the Holy Spirit. Um, and there are really a lot of movements like that happening. You can even look at Francis Chan and We Are Church. Um, there really is something bigger happening that I really think will reform the way that at least Western Christianity operates. Um, but in the meantime, and as as we are moving toward that. I am not an advocate of get out of church. I do think uh, churches probably need to hit the reset button on a lot of what they do. I'd be okay if they quit doing Sunday mornings and just started doing small groups or whatever. Um, but I'm not a fan of telling people to leave their community. And if your community is a is in a church organization, um, then lean into the tension of deconstruction. One of the things that's really difficult for deconstructing Christians is feeling like no one will listen to them or consider their opinion. Um, No one is trying to meet them where they are. And that's very real, very true. I I feel like that's pretty rampant across uh, Christianity right now. But if we're going to ask people to do that for us, we have to be willing to go first. We have to be willing to say, okay, I disagree with you. I don't like your beliefs on this. Um, You don't understand me, but guess what? I'm going to try, I'm going to do everything I can to maintain relationship with you, to see things from your perspective, to challenge my own perspective because I love you. And because we are in relationship with one another, we belong to one another as we belong to Christ. Um, I don't think that we need to just bail and say, you know, I'm an ex-evangelical, forget them. We are all part of the body, Um, like it or not. 
and we're not going to like it a lot of the time. Uh, but if we are committed to Christ and he is committed to them, then we should be committed to them too. So I do advocate for like doing everything you can to make it work. But there are points um, in your journey where sometimes the, the healthiest thing for you to do is to get a little bit of distance so that you can kind of uh, do some work on yourself and do some work with the Holy Spirit. Um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes churches don't really allow for that space. But if there's any, any chance to do so, I really advocate sticking with community in whatever way that you can. Yeah. And would you see the church's main role as that, as being a community or anything else beyond that? Um, yeah, I, I'd say that's what they are. You know, we're, uh, we are given to one another to love, encourage, and uplift one another. Um, we are given to one another to spur one another onto Christ, not to demand perfection from one another, not to be, you know, the moral gatekeepers um, or the theological gatekeepers. Um, we are brothers and sisters. Um, we are family. And so our purpose is not to tell people what to think, but it's to walk alongside them as they work out their salvation, as they work out their relationship with God and what that looks like. And that's always changing. As we change and grow, um, so does our faith. And we need uh, a community of people that can gather around us and walk with us in that, sometimes balance us and challenge that, sometimes say, you know what, it doesn't matter what you think, I'm here for you. Yeah. Do you want to maybe just talk a little bit more about like that concept of being focused on relationship first rather than beliefs first and how that applies to Christianity? Yeah. I mean, this is a big thing for me. If there's like two or three things that I ever speak about, uh, relational theology is one of them. Um, and it's this idea that we have worked so hard to nail down the exact correct beliefs and the exact correct um, way to live it out, you know, the orthodoxy and the orthopraxy, um, that we've gotten so focused on that, we've taken our eyes completely off of God. We've taken our eyes off the relationship with Jesus, and we've solely focused on scripture and how to interpret it and how to apply it and how to be these perfect Christian people. Um, and the problem with that, other than it takes our eyes off of God, is that it also takes our eyes off of people. But the bigger problem, in my opinion, is that we'll never get it right. We're humans. And if there's one thing we're really good at, it's screwing it up. Um, and we're so limited. To think that I have the full revelation of God and that I fully understand it and know exactly what to do with it is the most arrogant thing I can ever say. It's basically saying I don't need God because I have all of the information and I know, know what to do with it. Um, and so if we're going, if we know that we're probably going to be wrong about some things, or if you're like me, I'm probably going to be wrong about a lot of things when I get to the new heaven and new earth or whatever, whenever we go to be with God, he's probably going to be like, yeah, you were kind of an idiot. Uh, and I'm okay with that because he doesn't, you know, let people enter or he doesn't have relationship with people based on how correct they were. He has relationship with people based on whether or not he knew them and they knew him, whether or not he, people loved him, fed him, clothed him, 
And when I'm saying this, what I'm really saying is loved and fed and clothed each other. Um, because what you did for the least of these, you've done for me. So we've got to get away from this um, Christianity, this theology that's based on our cognitive assertions, our um, intellectual beliefs about God. And we've got to start pushing it more towards the relational living out of our faith. How do I connect with God in my daily life? How do I connect with the spirit within me? And how do I connect and love um, the people around me? And when we do that, when that is our central focus, um, all the beliefs that are kind of you know floating around it, they'll work themselves out. God will lead us. He'll guide us. He'll correct us when we're wrong. And even in the places where we never get it right, guess what? The whole point is grace. He's going to have so much grace for us that they don't really matter anyway. But what does matter is how did you take care of me by taking care of my sheep? How did you love me by taking care of my people? Yeah. And it's interesting to see the way that people often respond when instead of taking a relationship first approach, they take a beliefs first approach. Like you said, if you are so certain that you know everything that there is to know about God, it comes across as very arrogant. There's no humility. And often people aren't interested in having a conversation. So I know that when I was certain and my beliefs and was out evangelizing in the in the street at like student fairs and stuff like that, um, that no one was really interested in talking to me. But now as I've gone through deconstruction and that I am less rigid in my beliefs, but willing to actually talk about different ideas and different perspectives on it. So many more people I would never have expected have been interested in talking to me. And it reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever listened to some of the Pints and Parables series by Peter Rollins. No? Oh, I haven't yet. Okay, so I'll, I'll tell you this quickly. It's such a good parable. But he gives this parable. There's uh, three different ministers. So first, there's a Franciscan monk. Second, there's a Methodist minister. And third, there is a snake handling preacher. So they're all on their way to the workplaces. The Franciscan is walking alongside the river, nice, peacefully taken in nature, all that. And the Methodist minister is really conscious of his impact on the environment. So he's taking the bike to work today. So he's on his bike on the way to work. And the snake handling preacher is in the car. He's got a box with the snakes in the back. And they're all on their way to work. And one of the snakes jumps out the box, bites the snake handling preacher in the neck. And he swerves off the road and knocks over both the Methodist minister and the Franciscan monk. So they all die. And when you die, we all know that you go to a waiting room in heaven to get interviewed by Jesus. So <laughs> they're, in, they're in the waiting room to get interviewed by Jesus. And first up is the Franciscan monk. So Ar Archangel Gabriel comes out and goes, right, it's your turn. Come on in. So he heads in and five minutes later, he comes out and goes, you know what? I knew I was wrong. And I'm so glad that I was wrong. Next thing you know, Methodist minister goes in. And an hour later, he comes out and he's like, I can't believe that I was wrong. I mean, I knew there could have been some things, but I was pretty sure I had it right. And then next thing you know, Gabriel says, right, it's your turn. Snake handling preacher gets up, dusts off his Bible, and he begins to walk towards the door. An hour passes, nothing happens. Two hours passes, nothing happens. Three hours pass, and then Jesus runs out and he says, how could I have got it so wrong? <laughs> <laughs> And, and I just think oh my gosh. It, it highlights um, 
<laughs> the ways in which if you're so certain of your beliefs so often. <laughs> oh man that's good i you know i've listened to peter rollins on some podcasts i haven't gotten around to reading any of his stuff yet but man that's gold that sounds very on par for him <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll send you uh, some of the podcasts that he did they're called pints and parables and they're just brilliant there's so many other stories like that and if you read insurrection at the start of most chapters he's got a parable um which are just brilliant because they make the point so so well and just for yeah. modern times as well yeah yeah it's just you know we've rooted our faith so much in certainty and everything around Jesus is not about certainty. It's about trust. Yeah. And when he says, have faith, don't doubt, but have faith. He's saying, just trust me, you know, and um, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge and trust God. Like I'm just, we can't focus on the beliefs, but if we focus on relationship, if we focus on like, no matter what, I used to tell my students this in youth ministry, rule number one is relationship above all else. No matter what you think or believe or don't believe, um, you belong to me and I belong to you and we are going to be in a relationship together. And when we do that, you know, teenagers, adults, whoever, it's just this crazy thing that happens. Like people start to love each other really well. People yeah. um, that don't believe start to wonder if maybe, you know, they have encountered God and maybe they do believe. And um, people that do believe are like, well, maybe I made that up. And how can I, how can I be more um, open to my non-believing friends? You know, it's just, it's crazy. I've had Christian leaders come and say, I didn't know anybody else felt like this. Can we talk? And then I've had people that totally hate God and want nothing to do with God or faith of any kind. And they come to me and they're like, why do you like me? Mm. Like, you're not, you're not like normal Christians. Um, you're you're like a normal guy and I'm like well normal Christians should be normal people yeah. <laughs> it it's just when you put relationship first it opens the doors for so much opportunity yeah and what about in relation to God because often in the process called deconstruction um, our relationship to God can feel very up in the air uncertain because all the doctrines that we've held about who god is that were so certain and set in stone and helped define how we related to god are no longer there so how did you relate to god in that process of questioning and do you think that there is a right way of relating to god oh that's a loaded question um at, at this point in my life and this may change in five years or five days who knows I don't, I would not say that there's a right way. Yep. Um, in fact, I've, I've really gotten away from the words good and bad, right and wrong. Um, I lean more towards uh, helpful and unhelpful. Mm -hmm. Is it beneficial or is it harmful? You yep. know, Paul even said everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really lean into that. And I think when it comes to what's beneficial, I think there's a lot that the Western church since, you know, enlightenment has thrown out. And a lot of that is this mystical contemplative experience of God. So for me, it was really the mystics. It was Thomas Merton. It was Henry Nouwen um, that, that really pushed me deeper into the experience of God in my personal life. And everything that happened there translated to the world around me. If God had infinite grace for me, no matter what, 
well, he had to have infinite grace for everybody else. And if I was going to be in a relationship with him, then I needed to start having infinite grace for everybody else too. Um, so I, I'm a big advocate of the mystics. Um, I love, I love Franciscans. Um, I'm all about St. Francis. Uh, Richard Rohr, of course, is fantastic, but there's several more. Um, but I don't, though that's what I typically lean into and try to help people experience that because I think the church has wiped it out largely. The evangelical church has gotten rid of it. Um, it, it really is going to vary based on each person. You know, my wife and I are radically different people. She loves biology. Biology is the, is the worst grade I ever got in school. I was, I hate biology. And the way that she is going to connect with God is going to be very different than the way I connect. Some people really do connect with, you know, a uh, worship set and a 30 minute sermon from some white guy, you know, that's, that's great. That's not really how I connect. Um, so I, I, I just advocate for people to try things that they've never tried, lean into different groups, different uh, Christian denominations or theologies that you have stayed away from, because there might be something in there that you've never tried that totally resonates with you on a deep level. And if we're just, you know, doing the same thing and staying within our lane, then, you know, our, our connection to God is never really going to grow. It's just going to get stagnant. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and the ecumenical like community that I'm a part of, what they did over Lent and some of the Sundays uh, was really interesting. And I think it reflects exactly what you're saying, that we all relate to God differently because what they would do in a service is they would have the kind of standard style of liturgical call and response. So they would do that. And then they presented a poem and then gave a time of reflection and meditation and then another call and response and then a piece of music and then a time for reflection and meditation on that and then another call and response and then uh, a piece of art and a time to respond and meditate on that and it just gave you different opportunities depending on who you are how you engage with god because some people are going to find that beneficial and some aren't like i absolutely love contemplative meditation whereas katie doesn't engage with that i struggle to often do like petitionary prayer whereas that's maybe yeah. a bit easier for for katie and and it just really depends on who you are uh, how you engage with god but like you said, I totally agree with that concept of, is it helpful or is it harmful? And um, I wrote an art just because it's been Easter recently was thinking of it, wrote a piece last year on the different concepts of like atonement theories and things like that. And basically said like, look, some of you are really going to benefit from singing what can wash away my sins, nothing but the blood of Jesus, like on right. a Sunday, because you need to know that like you're pure and you need to know that like there's been some sort of ransom or forgiveness that's there. But then other of you need to know that there's freedom, that there's victory, that there's liberation through like the Christus Victor and things like that and people are right. just going to engage totally different based off of who they are their life experiences all that sort of stuff yeah absolutely it's you know we're all different parts of the body and as as difficult as it as it can be and as much tension as it can create for me to be in a relationship with someone who's totally different than me totally connects differently than me and thinks differently about God than I do as difficult as it can be, it's the best thing we can do because not only, you know, I, I always tell people like, thank God that you disagree with me because if we had a 
just a bunch of courtesies, just a million or millions of courtesies um, representing the body of Christ, we would have very little effect on the world. We would only affect a very uh, niche market of people. But more than that, we wouldn't grow personally. You know, every conversation would just be like, you're so right. You're so right. You're so right. I don't have to think differently or change or grow. Um, I'm already complete. And so some, you know, we need the people that agree with us so that we don't feel crazy, but we definitely need the people that are different from us um, so that we can continue to experience and dive deeper into this vast image of God that he has imprinted on each of us uniquely. If I am not in relationship with you, I am missing a part of God that I wouldn't get otherwise, you know, or that I could get if I was with, in relationship with you. So we've got to focus on being around people and trying different things, things that make us uncomfortable. Yeah. It, it reminds me, there's a, a quote by a guy called Peter Miller. It's in a book that I absolutely love called Waymarks. Um, and it's this quote from this inscription that was on a wall in India. And it was at a care home where you would often find people with leprosy. And this was just written on the wall, but it says, I sought for my soul, but my soul failed to see. I sought my God, but my God eluded me. And I sought my brother and found all three. And I absolutely love that. And I think that gets right to the point that um, it's in community that we find this connection with God. I find that I feel closest to God when I'm like sitting in a pub, having a conversation with my friends about yeah. Jesus, or I'm up the top of a mountain on like a sunrise morning hike, and we're just having a conversation or even just sitting in silence because it's the community. Um, and I think that's the power of the concept of like the Trinity as well, is that it's not necessarily the three figures and their definitions, but rather the relationship between them, that is the essence of the divine nature, the essence of who God yes. is, is that relationship and love. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I haven't read The Divine Magician, but I had a friend that read it and was so excited about it. Um, and he talked about, you know, Rollins saying that the, the final act, you know, the reappearing or the resurrection of Jesus is, is in us. And like, that's, that's mm -hmm. the resurrection of Christ is yeah. in the people. And so when I am interacting with you, agree or disagree, um, I'm interacting with the person of Jesus. Yep. And so we need each other uh, if we're going to move forward. And I, I just, I love that idea. Yeah, exactly. That's the, he gives at the start of the divine magician, he gives the analogy of communion. So he talks about the, like the magician would show you a coin in the same way you're showing the bread and the wine. And then there's the right. removal of that, the disappearance of the coin, the disappearance of the body uh, or right. the, the bread and the wine as you consume it. And then there's the re reappearance and it's usually a different coin with the magician. So in the same way, it's like after you've consumed the bread and the wine, you turn to the person next to you and go, this is the body and the blood of Christ, the person that's standing right in front of me. And that's the right. reappearance of the thing that was presented at first. Yeah. yeah well even jesus did that on the road to damascus you know he was around him and they didn't recognize they didn't mm -hmm. see him and then their eyes were open and they're like oh my gosh that was him he was there <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly well curtis i've really enjoyed this conversation today if people want to find you they want to engage with more of your content where's the best place for them to find you uh most of my stuff i put on instagram uh my handle is just at curtis vanderpool curtis is with a k um, I don't like when people spell it wrong, but whatever, I get it. 
I also have a website, which is just curtisvanderpool.com. There's more on there about my life coaching and my speaking and um, the book that I wrote. So those are the two best places to connect with me, probably. Amazing. Thanks so much again for coming on. No, thanks for the time and the conversation, man. I really appreciate it. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode today. If you haven't already, then we had a bonus episode released just on Thursday there that was on Community. It was a roundtable discussion with some other podcast creators and the podcast is titled I Just Want Real Friends. So if you have not listened to that already, go check it out. If you have, then have a great week and we will see you again next week at the Space Between podcast. 